Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Many, if not most, of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities. Some names have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Lisa or myself. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I flew up to the mirror. Well, there was nothing that I seen. You lie, I cried. The butterfly walked in my eyes. You lie, I cried. The butterfly walked in my eyes. Welcome back to Here's Your Red Flag. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Tony. Today, we are pleased to be talking with Johanna Montenegro, a therapist who works with clients in toxic relationships. Johanna is a licensed professional counselor serving Texas and is the owner of Whole Life Healing Therapy, where she is serving women through trauma counseling, focusing on relational trauma, including childhood abuse and neglect, spiritual trauma, and narcissist abuse recovery. She is also the owner of the Mindful Collective Studio, where she provides integrative trauma-informed mindfulness practices, focusing on healing the mind, body, and heart. Welcome to Here's Your Red Flag, Johanna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So before we dive into trauma bonding and everything, I'm curious, just personally, what led you to become a counselor and specifically what led you to trauma counseling? Yeah, so the journey to become a counselor started probably early 20s. I had a daughter when I was 19. And through that experience, although I had support around me, I had really supportive parents and friends. There were things that I I was experiencing that, you know, I was navigating alone. And later, you know, a few years down the road was exposed and learned about what therapy was. I had no idea. I had never been to counseling before then, but really felt a pull and a calling to help people. And so someone shared with me about therapy, about counseling, about that I can go to school for it. So I just jumped right in <laughs> into a into a program, got accepted, and it was it was a great journey. And then, you know, specifically with trauma counseling, that's a little bit more personal in my heart. My parents had fostered three children. And I was witnessing the cycles of trauma and healing as they were like in the home with us. Mm. And then was able to have an opportunity to work with kids who were aging out of the foster care system and even more exposure to the effects of trauma and really felt, you know, a call to for that to be where I landed. And then it has evolved into specifically relational trauma, right, with the relationships we have with our caregivers, our parents, people in our community, right? Like our support systems. And then more specifically, lately is uh, relationship trauma, right? Like romantic relationships, betrayal, narcissistic abuse, recovery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I focus on seeing women specifically. And 
My clients are usually women who are realizing that they're in a very toxic relationship or situation, or at the very least that something's wrong, mm-hmm. right? So they, they'll contact me, right? And together we, we pick this apart of what is actually happening in their relationship. Other individuals who know full well that they are in an abusive relationship and trying to navigate everything that goes with trying to either stay in that moment, because sometimes we can't leave those relationships right away, mm-hmm. or creating plans and internal resources to manage that cycle as it's happening while they're in it and trying to get out of it. Mm. Wow. Oh, yes. Well, that sounds, mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. And I, can totally relate to yeah. to what you're saying. Yeah, thank you. So the clients you see today, Johanna, are they struggle with leaving. It's not very easy. So what can you tell us about the struggle? Yeah, so the thing that makes it difficult for someone to leave an abusive or toxic relationship is the attachment that's formed with that individual, which is called a trauma bond. And so a trauma bond is defined as the misuse of fear, excitement, sexual feelings, and any entanglement with the other person, right? So the abuser and the person that is being abused, it's an attachment that is being created. And it's strong emotional attachment between the abuser and the individual that's being abused that perpetuates the cycle of violence. And so to share a little bit on the cycle of violence, there's four stages to it. It's, and, and this describes an abusive relationship. So the, the first stage is tension. Um, and so th- that's usually outside stressors that are happening. So there, there might be stress at work or financial situation, uh, stress that's happening that is creating powerlessness for the abuser, which then in turn leads the abuser to um, take out their frustration onto the abused person, right? The, the victim or their partner. And, and just to clarify, like these cycles and this, this abusive patterns isn't exclusive to romantic relationships, right? Like it can be a parent and child. It can be a family member, a friendship. It can be a coworker or a boss. But for what we're sharing today, you'll hear me talk more of on the like partner relationship. And so what that tension does is it creates hypervigilance for the victim, right? So that they're always on edge waiting to see what is going to happen next. And so then that next stage is the incident, right? That's when the blow up happens. So the tension is building for the abuser. Um, They're feeling powerless. And then they explode, right? And and these can be um, physical acts of violence, manipulation, insults, threats, intimidation that the abuser is then putting on to the victim, right? And making them believe that they're the problem, that they're the one that that caused the blow up, right? They'll use phrases like, well, it's your fault that I got mad or it if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have punched a hole in the wall, right? I wouldn't have hit you if, or I wouldn't have left or cheated on you if you didn't fill in the blank. 
Yeah, my former husband would often say that if he were to ever get lonely, he would seek out ways to fulfill that loneliness. And so it made me hypervigilant, you know, that walking on eggshells and making sure everything was right so that he wouldn't seek company elsewhere. I didn't want him to ever be lonely. And I never realized his loneliness is his problem. You know, that's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it, and he was making it your responsibility. Yes. Right. That mm-hmm. For you to be the one mm-hmm. to, to fill that for him. But they created in you this hyper awareness of and, and really the, the, the power and the control that they try to, to use over that other person, right? Like, I'm going to control and manipulate you into doing what I want you to do. Right. And a lot of the times, they're still going out and doing the thing that they threatened you with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just, it's very crazy making. It is crazy making. And the thing that they want us to do is never clear, at least in my case. It was always a moving target, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It creates a lot of confusion and chaos. Mm-hmm. And so then that next stage of the cycle of violence or abuse is reconciliation. So you have tension that builds, the incident that happens, right? The explosion, and then re- reconciliation happens after that. And this is where the abuser will admit what they did wrong and they'll apologize. I'm so sorry. Sometimes there's tears and they're crying and be creating this narrative, if you will, of them being the victim of something that they created, right? Like, so I hurt you. I was manipulative. I did something harmful to you, made you feel bad about it. And then you're the one ending up apologizing for what they did, right? And so, and often too, that they, they tend to over explain why they did what they did. And that includes how the part that we, you know, quote unquote, played in their reactions mm-hmm. um, of us and making us feel like we're the ones that are wrong, that we're responsible mm-hmm. and making and, and sometimes making us believe that we deserved it, too. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you didn't do these things, I wouldn't have done this. And I'm sorry, but you. Mm-hmm. did did these things to make me do this and if you don't then I won't do those things to you but like you mentioned it's a moving target so you never know where you know where you're gonna hit or not or like a landmine you know mm-hmm. if I step here is are they gonna explode if I do the thing that they told me to do but then they still get upset even though I'm following their directions and doing exactly what they asked me to do mm-hmm. um that creates a lot of chaos mm-hmm. in our mind. And then that last stage is the calm, uh, which in this stage, this is the part where I really believe people get stuck. And this is where the the trauma bond really like cements and solidifies, right? Because this is where I hear a lot in, with clients and individuals that I work with of the good times, right? Like the good moments, the things that were great. And there's almost this feeling of safety that begins to come back into the relationship that the victim holds on to, right? So this is a phase where things are usually going well. The abuser is being friendly, very loving, very thoughtful, which re- what they're doing is love bombing just to start that cycle again. So as soon as they get the abused individual to a place where they're feeling safe and secure and loved in the relationship again, that cycle just starts all over again. 
mm-hmm. of tension, incident, reconciliation, and then back to the calm. And that calm phase can actually last a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, for some individuals, it can be maybe several weeks or even months where things are fine. Mm-hmm. And then so and that creates confusion for people, because if it's not constantly happening, it can be more difficult to then get out of a relationship or a situation because it's not in your face all the time. Right. So if that calm phase is happening for a good extended period of time, but then the tension starts to build and it's really bad. And then the incident happens really bad. That's where folks get stuck. And I don't, I'm sure you've heard, but um, I've definitely heard where, and I have used this in my own relationship, you know, in the past of when it was good, it was really, really good. And it was great. And when it was bad, it was terrible and horrible and Nothing I would wish on anybody. So you have these two polar opposite dynamics that Mm -hmm. are happening in that relationship, which is causing that continued attachment to that person. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really well said. I like how you went through all the stages and each stage is very powerful in these relationships. So with trauma bonding, something that came to mind, there's got to be a hook for, we're calling, I guess, the victim, the partner initially for them to attach to this person. And I know that a lot of these narcissistic, toxic people, somehow the victim gets the message and usually it's maybe directly stated to them, you and I, it's you and I against the world. There is no other relationship like ours. We are so special. Can you speak to that? It's it's isolation, right? So mm-hmm. what the what the abuser does is they do all the things they can do, right? Of using those those kinds of phrases, right? Like mm-hmm. it's us and they even can will sometimes tell us that the healthy people in our life are the toxic people in our life. And then so we start to believe what they're telling us. And so then we begin to isolate and then we realize that that person our abuser is the only person around right and and maybe our friends and our family and our loved ones have in our support system have not left but emotionally we've been detaching from them to where maybe our outside support system starts to see these red flags but we've either believed so much what our abuser has said to us and we began to really form like our our identity around that person and the relationship and romanticizing the isolation, right? Like it's us against the world and have pushed away those close people and, or we begin to realize that the situation that we are in is not healthy. And we begin to silence our own conscience and our, our gut. Right. And then shame starts to creep in because then it's us trying to make the relationship work so we can prove to everyone else that the relationship isn't as bad as they think it is. And so when when you're hearing from the outside, like this, this is not a healthy relationship. This isn't good for you. We think this person is toxic. These are all the red flags. Then the victim feels very stuck in the middle between the, the healthy people who love them and want the best for them. And this individual that they've grown an attachment to, which really is like an addiction that begins to form which is how the trauma bond happened. That makes sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, the way that that trauma bonds to kind of lead into like how it is formed, right? Like 
what makes someone bonded to someone. So I'll say one thing that trauma bonding is not that I think right now, because this is a little bit newer, right? Like we're, we're all just, I think, collectively learning about this. So what trauma bonding is not you bonding over your bad experiences with somebody else, right? So like me and my friend talking about, you know, maybe some bad relationships we've been in or some trauma that we've experienced in our life and and sharing those experiences with each other. That's not what a trauma bond is when we're talking about this. So I wanted to to clear that up because sometimes people do believe that that's what it is, right? Mm. We bonded over our traumas and that's not um, the case. So when a trauma bond is essentially when our brain becomes addicted to the hormonal and emotional roller coaster that is happening in the relationship. And so like the love and the attention that we're getting causes us to forget how bad the abuse is, right? Because we're in this dance like this, our brain is doing this chemical dance of like cortisol and dopamine, right? Like the stress hormone is being released when things are really bad, right? Like when you're in that tension and incident phase of like the abuse cycle. And so when the stress hormone is being released, and then when the abuser is engaging after in the reconciliation and calm phase, those are all the good feelings, right? All the good chemicals that are going off in our brain, the dopamine, which can cause and release like the reward center in our brain, which makes us feel good, right? So something bad happens, and then things calm down, and then something feels really good, right? And that's that crazy dance that's going back and forth in our brain with this person causing this addictive attachment to them. Would you call that love addiction? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And with love addiction too, it is the illusion, right, of loving this person. Not really that I love this person. Um, or maybe I have I care for them, right? And and but it's being manipulated and twisted and coerced into making it look like it's love and it's not. What we're always chasing is what I refer to as that middle person, right? It's not the, not either extreme, not the rage, not the love bombing, but that calm period. And I feel like we're always chasing that and it can never quite be that again. Um, Yeah. It's just, it it can't be the same, right? And not with that person. Um, Mm -hmm. And and what's interesting about our, our brain is that when the different chemicals in our brain are being released, our brain does not know what's releasing it, right? Like it can't differentiate what's happening. Our mind and our heart and like what we are experiencing, our body knows, right, that this is dangerous. But like the actual chemicals that are being released in our brain, it doesn't know if you're in the forest and a bear jumped out at you or if your partner just screamed in your face, right? Right. It doesn't um, differentiate. Mm-hmm. It, it's just happening. Same with the reward part, like the dopamine being released is that it doesn't know if, you know, you're like a little kid getting a candy out of the, the candy jar and right, like you're excited and happy and like, oh, I got this reward. Well, in the abusive relationship, the, the reward is you're being good. So I'm going to treat you in this way, or I, I need this to go back to a place where I know that you trust me again, so that I can abuse you again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something for us to remember, to give ourselves grace in that, because our brain does not know 
what's happening. And so we consciously have to make those choices and decisions to almost like cut those, those individuals out of our life to stop the cycle from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And regardless if it's the bear in the forest or the partner yelling and cursing or being physically violent, right? The brain doesn't know the difference. However, our our guts know this doesn't feel safe. This doesn't feel right. And yeah. part part of healing, I believe, is learning to trust that gut again. And that can be very hard because we're getting all of these signals that this isn't right. Something's not right. This doesn't feel good. But yet we love them or yet we're chasing the dragon, so to speak. It's all these we can talk ourselves out of leaving because of all those good moments. But the good moments are part of the manipulation, too, just to keep us yeah. strung along. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so listening to our gut is that is the physiological part of the trauma that's happening, right? Like that we tend to ignore. Right. So even though our brain can't differentiate like the of what's going on, like you said, our body knows exactly what's happening and it's responding to the trauma. So when we can't trust what our our brain is doing, right? And and maybe the the different thoughts that are looping in our mind of right, like you you get really get into this chaotic and very confused state of mind. Because you're trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense, right? Like right. it doesn't make sense for someone to hurt you and then tell you they that it was your fault and you apologize and then them shower you with love. That's not healthy, right? Right. But your body is holding that trauma of if you're constantly feeling tense around them. And I'll just speak from, from my experience is when I was in a very emotionally and abusive, psychologically uh, abusive relationship was that when the individual was gone, I could feel my nervous system and everything kind of calming down. Right. And I was able to function and do things with a little bit more, you know, clear mindedness. As soon as I heard the car door in the driveway open and close, instantly my body would tighten up and I would just respond and my my stomach would start to just be real gross and the atmosphere completely changed and as soon as that person walked into the into the home my body and my mind were fighting each other because my body was telling me like this is not okay and this is not safe and run and i and you never and i never knew what was what version of that person was going to walk through the door mm-hmm. So that's also a red flag. If, mm-hmm. if you're feeling like I never know which version of this person I'm going to get, it could very well be a sign that you're in a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Wow. Very powerful. So we want to hear from you on how to heal from trauma bonds, but the in-between, what does a person do? You work with your clients on these issues. So they come in, you tell them about this information you educate them. What's the next step before they can start healing from the trauma bonds? How They have to find their way out. How do you talk them through that? How do you begin that process with your clients? Yeah. So this is a very one close to home because I've had to walk through these stages myself and being able to, to share and hold space with, with other individuals who are navigating the same thing is that there, there are parts of that that 
of that leaving stage where, where someone makes a decision of they understand the situation that they're in and they're making a conscious decision that they need to leave. But depending on what their circumstances are and what their situation is, sometimes they can't leave right away. Right. So someone could be in a having to stay, you know, if they're married in their marriage for a while before they're able to get their resources together to get out. And so I first uh, assess like and ask the, my client just straight up, like, are you trying are you trying to stay in this? Because some people emotionally, they, they're not ready to leave, right? And I'm not going to tell someone, well, you have to leave and this is not healthy, right? Like they need someone to support and to walk with them on this journey. So if in that season, they have to stay or they want to, then my job is just to hold space and to help them create those inner resources. And as they begin to build those inner resources of setting boundaries, right? Recognizing the red flags, how to respond to that person, they do become stronger, they become more encouraged, they are able to use their voice in that relationship. And eventually they can get, they will get to that point of choosing like, I'm either going to stay or I'm going to leave. Oftentimes it's, I'm not staying in this and now I need to come up with a plan to leave. So there's going to be a lot that happens in that middle part. Yes, there's a lot of moving parts in that, definitely. And I think there's a probably a process of marrying as you said there's the body and the mm -hmm. mind are in conflict with each other so mm -hmm. there's got to be a marrying of the two and i would yes. think that that is what you have to what you have Absolutely. to work your clients on yeah so because so when we strip it all down to like what is trauma right it's a it's a trauma isn't always what happened to us but it's how we are responding to what happened Right. And oftentimes it's what our physical body and how it's responding to what occurred. And so if trauma is what's happening to us through our senses, right, it has to be processed out through our senses. So reconnecting to our body, learning to trust what our body is telling us, because if we've become so dysregulated, it is important to, as much as possible, right? Like if you're in it and you're unable to get out of it right away, building that those inner resources of trusting your gut, trusting your body. What is what is it telling me? Simple body scans, right? So if so, something that right listeners can practice is when that person walks into your into your bubble, right, in your space, whether they, they're coming home or you're meeting them. Scan your body. How does my head feel? How do my shoulders feel? Right? Like my arms and go all the way down to your feet and notice where there's discomfort, where there's tension, where um, I, many of my clients and, and also my personal experiences, my gut, my gut was in, was a mess. And I thought I had like I thought I had celiac disease and that I was gluten intolerant and that I couldn't eat all of these things. As soon as that relationship ended, I can eat all kinds of stuff. And that's not everyone's situation, right? But that was my journey, right? Of my body was able to re-regulate once I was out of that situation. But I had to learn to trust that the tension that I was holding, you know, in my neck and my shoulders, the discomfort that I was feeling in my gut. The, the, the physical symptoms that were happening 
were directly related and correlated to that relationship and the abuse that was happening inside of that relationship. And so with my clients, we work on connecting to our body. And then also I practice EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy with my clients. And we really get to the root belief, that root negative belief of why they feel that they believe that this is the kind of relationship that they deserve, right? Or what is the root belief and the the negative root cause of why they continue to stay in these relationships. So we, as much as far down as we can go to the root of the cause of why we choose to stay in those relationships, what is it, right? Because we also have to take responsibility for our own healing and the things that are perpetuating in our life, even though somebody else is causing harm, right? We have the responsibility to, to heal our own self. And so I work with my clients on that, right? Where's the root cause and what's going on in your body? I love that. That That's the flag I wave. It's like, yes, this is the hand we've been dealt. And oftentimes this is the hand we've willingly joined in on. But yes, once we, you know, there's that saying, once you know better, you do better. And yes, once you have this awakening, we have a, a responsibility to respond to it in healthy ways and mindful ways. And yeah, we just have that that responsibility. And once we claim that, it's such a sense of power, you know, not not a machete wielding type power. But just a, a self-empowerment of, yeah, this is these are my boundaries. This is what I will accept and not accept. And it's it's just so freeing. It is. It is very freeing. And and once you know better, it's very difficult to choose to go back into any dynamic that is less than healthy with anybody. Right. <laughs> and that's when we start to and I might be veering off a little bit, but this is where when our healthy boundary setting starts to kick in, there are other things in our life that we start to realize are not serving us, that are not healthy. Mm-hmm. And as as beautiful as healing is, something that we, that's not talked about a lot is that it's a very difficult process because it's a, it's a lot of grieving, right? You're, you're grieving the loss of so many things, right? This relationship that you wanted to work, the person that you maybe thought they were, if you have lost maybe really close relationships that were healthy and supportive, you have to grieve the loss of those. And, and, and you can't do trauma healing work without acknowledging that there is grief that happens in it. And it's like, there are multiple little deaths of of these old habits, these old beliefs, these old ways and patterns that we're having to to bury and say, I'm done and no more. Mm-hmm. And it's still really, really hard because to have to navigate healing from abuse, neglect, narcissism, all of those things, and then also pairing healing from trauma with grief, they, mm-hmm. they go hand in hand mm-hmm. and, and it can feel very lonely 
because then we start to see the relationships or even the patterns and habits that we've created to keep ourselves in survival mode, right? So I'll just take myself yes. as an example, again, of uh, a, an unhealthy pattern that I had gotten stuck in while in that uh, abusive relationship was a lot of like numbing out, checking out, like doom scrolling on my phone, right? And then a lot of um, like sugar intake. I was eating a lot of sugar, which like no shame, right? Mm -hmm. um, but those were the things that were keeping me safe in that moment. And so when I, when I was able to separate myself from that situation, I was able to, one, my body didn't need any of the things that I was putting into it to like stay in survival mode, mm -hmm. which was like the food and then like the shutting down, right? Like I didn't need that anymore. And so my body just automatically was able to release it. But then I also had to have grace and compassion for myself mm -hmm. that, yes, even though I had built up these unhealthy, you know, patterns or habits, also thank you, brain and body for keeping me safe mm -hmm. in that time. And we, when, when we're navigating this, we have to have compassion for ourselves for the unhealthy things that we later are you know, realizing I probably shouldn't have been engaged in that kind of behavior or indulged in these things. And also this was survival for me and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It is totally okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. So powerful. So once a person realizes all of this, how do they start the path to healing from their trauma bonds? So, so first I, I would encourage to ask yourself these questions. One, do you feel stuck and that you can't get out, right? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself, do you feel like you have to walk on eggshells, right? Do you feel like you're afraid that this person might hurt you themselves or others if you choose to leave? Are the people in your life warning you about the red flags? And then also, if and when you leave, do you feel this need to, to be back with them, right? So first asking yourself those questions, you answer yes to many of them, then you're, you're in a place where you're, you need to be encouraged to start looking at moving forward. And so tips to, to move out of those relationships and past what's happening is the first thing I tell everybody is to document everything. Documenting incidences uh, so like you can keep a journal, you can have a note in your phone, you can screenshot text messages. Um, if there's physical violence um, that is happening, taking pictures of what happened. So like if they punched a hole in the wall, if they harmed you, if they kicked the dog, right? Like making sure you're documenting date, time, what happened, keep your feelings out of what, what, what the incident was, right? Because if we start to flood those entries with our emotion, we can get a little fuzzy, right? It loops us back into the emotional cycle of it, right? We need to keep it as what are the facts and what happened when it's happening, right? Like, so if, if there's an incident where the person is threatening, the abuser is threatening or causing harm or being destructive, doing the best that you can not to react in that moment and not to react and respond to them. 
because when we react, this can be considered what's called reactive abuse, uh, which is essentially the victim reacting to what the abuser did, right? So I have had individuals share that their partner tells them that they're crazy because they're they're the ones that are yelling. They're the ones that are crying. They're emotional, right? They're upset. They're angry. But you're you're responding normally to something that's not normal, right? So if someone hits you and you cry, that is a normal response to pain. And then if they're telling you, stop crying, and, and some people might, this might trigger like, oh, yeah, actually, this happened when I was a kid, right? Like, my parents would spank me and they would tell me, don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. I'm like, you literally just gave me something to cry about that hurt in these situations, right? Like not reacting because then they can take that and twist it and use it against you to make you and make others believe and think that you're the one that's narcissistic, that you're the abuser, that you're crazy, right? The biggest thing I would say, I would say aside from documenting is to make sure that you have support some kind of support system so this is going into healing from that trauma bond is that we can't do it alone and if you don't feel like you have safe family and friends that you can confide in find a therapist find a support group find a mentor there are so many resources available virtually and in person to be in community with other people, right? And so when when you have others, my favorite thing about healing is that it happens in circles, right? So we can go and see a therapist one-on-one and we still leave alone if we don't have people to like process with by ourselves. And so that's why support groups, online forums are really great because you don't have to feel alone in what is happening uh, and what's going on. So don't do it alone. Remembering that you're detoxing from an abusive relationship, right? So making sure you're you're giving yourself lots of self-compassion, allowing yourself time and space, right? So when we think about detoxing, it's a process, right? It's, it's not overnight. It takes some time. And depending on how long you have been in that dynamic. So if If you grew up as a child in an abusive home and then were in a toxic relationship and you're, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old, you have to remember all of that was built over that amount of time. Healing is not going to happen in six months or less, right? It's going to take some time and that's okay. So allowing yourself that practicing healthy boundary setting, um, setting boundaries is the most loving thing and the most freeing thing that you can do for yourself and for others, right? So one of the things that as I was exiting my relationship was that I had to come to this point of I might care about this person and also our dynamic is extremely unhealthy and it's not good for anybody. At, at one point in, in that healing process for me, I had to reconcile that the most loving thing that I could do was to set distance and space and be away from that person, right? Because in that moment, that was the only way I could reconcile leaving, right? Like, this is the most loving thing that I can do for me and for you. We're not, this is not okay. This isn't good. 
continuing to educate yourself, right? Listening to podcasts like this, um, uh, reading books, education, right? Like, so, so as when you have something in your ears or you're reading or you're going through a workbook, it's helping to keep all of that fresh, right? And to, to remind you of what it is that you're exiting from physically working it out, right? So practicing mindfulness, practicing uh, breath work, gentle movement. So that could be through yoga, if you like to run, if you like to walk, whatever it is, right? So if, if these experiences are happening physically to us and trauma is being trapped inside of our body, a physiological level, then being able to physically work that out in some way. So it doesn't mean you have to like join a gym I mean, you have to have this like intense workout routine, but in some way connecting to your body, right? To be able to process, to learn to trust your body, to learn to trust your gut. Again, practicing self-care. And the a really important thing is to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help because as you're navigating and detoxing and separating yourself from these abusive relationships, especially if you have children, you need to be able to have space to to be alone or go see your therapist, right? And it's okay to ask other people for help. Hey, I'm having a really hard day or I just need a couple of hours to take a nap. Please rest. Rest and drink water too <laughs> because that will, will also help as well. But we have to take care of our mind. We have to take care of our heart and we have to take care of our body. That's excellent. In our pre-interview, you talked about the importance of boundaries, and I know you were just talking about that just now. Can you shape that out a little bit more of what that looks like? I think people that are in toxic relationships either did not have any, if they did, very few, and maybe just don't know what that looks like. How do you start that journey of building your boundaries? Yeah, so boundaries start with us, right? They are not punishments and or ultimatums for the other person boundaries exist to keep us safe right to keep us at peace and so the first step to setting boundaries is to start with yourself right asking yourself what do i need to feel safe in this relationship what do i need to feel secure what do i need to feel peace in my life right all the things that what are your values and Asking those questions, those deeper questions of like, what is it that is going to help promote freedom, peace and safety and security and choice and autonomy as I live and navigate my own life? And is that other person able to respect those boundaries that I have for myself? So that would be like first, like foundational, right? Like you have to know what your boundaries are. You can't just go telling people you can't do that or don't do this. Well, why is what they'll ask you. Why not? And then you you get real confused and ah, well, it's just not nice or you just, we don't do that, right? We have to be able to articulate like when you scream, it makes me feel unsafe and that I can't trust you. And so when we, when we try to, or we begin to communicate our boundaries to somebody else, if they come back with, well, it doesn't make sense, or that's crazy, or any kind of phrase to minimize your boundary and to make you feel like that what you're asking for and what you need, like what your needs are, are wrong. That's a red flag, right? 
And what's difficult, what can be difficult when we're setting, we're trying to set boundaries with abusive individuals is that they're never going to meet a boundary that they're okay with being okay with. So they're, they're always going to bump up against your healthy boundaries because they are not healthy individuals. So you requesting, hey, please don't, don't yell at me. I don't like that. It's not going to be met with, you know what? You're right. I should not have done that. I, I totally understand. And I won't do that. Right. It's, what? It, it, it's, it's just a whole thing after that, you know, of you're too sensitive, obviously, uh, coming from there. Victim blaming. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the stronger we get, even in these small boundaries of, and they're not even small, but how, how we want to be spoken to and treated. Once we start setting those boundaries, if we're still in that relationship, then again, yes, victim blaming. And then we can just expect it's like that whack-a-mole game of, yes, we've set this boundary. And so now they're going to overreact in other ways because they need us to be weak. And the moment we show any sort of strength that will generally incite rage in them or some degree of anger, I think. Yeah, Yeah, and and narcissistic injury, which can take the shape in many different forms. Like Mm -hmm. you said, rage, probably pouting, you know, tearfulness, crying, right? Like, oh, you you hurt me, right? Yes, that was. uh... They're so good at at turning it back around, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. and not taking any accountability. And even uh, along the lines of that, where someone might say, "Well, my partner." isn't engaging in physically violent behavior or they don't yell they they don't scream at me right that can be very confusing for an individual who's in a narcissistic relationship because a lot of what is shared just collectively as a whole is that these these relationships are physically or they can be physically abusive and for many it's an emotional and and psychological abusing and games that are being played right so it can look like stonewalling Mm -hmm. right where they completely act and ignore your Mm -hmm. existence right Mm -hmm. you're not even in the room Mm -hmm. them leaving Mm -hmm. leaving physically right like the the home or the space you're in them leaving you that was one incident where where in in my relation my past relationship it was not physically or violent right and and no one would have guessed and 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 that's where I had a lot of confusion of like this person's not hitting me mm-hmm. so how is this abusive right and and that can be even more confusing for an individual where I, I recall a, a particular moment where there was a you know, it's just a little argument right that happened over dinner we were out and this person walked out of the restaurant, got in their car and left while we were eating. And I was, wow, you know, sitting there like, this feels like this is not supposed to be happening right now. Right. But that was, a, that was a, an incident of abuse. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was abandoned. I was left alone at night without a car. Didn't know where this person went. Mm-hmm. Had to call a family member like, they're not mm-hmm. answering their phone. I'm stranded. Can you come get me? Right. 
but a lot of that, right? This person would just up and leave and be gone for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And and so so if you're listening and you're not experiencing these big giant explosive incidences, or you know the, the person's not punching a wall, you know, mm-hmm. or kicking or throwing things, it doesn't mean that abuse is not still happening, mm-hmm. right? It can be very quiet, very subtle or to where it seems very subtle, but know that it is still abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those wounds to, to our minds and to our souls just last just as long as physical scars do. They do. They really do. Yeah. Equally important. Definitely. Let me just ask real quick, Johanna, how much I want to honor your time. You're on a girl's trip. So what are you thinking time-wise? I mean, we're good. We're just chilling. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we don't have plans. Okay. Yeah, we don't have plans. Okay. So, so we're all I, in I, our PJs. I'm good for another four hours. How about y'all know? <laughs> <laughs> I really could pick your brain for a long time. I know. <laughs> it's, really it's really good stuff. You're confirming so many things that we've talked about. So that makes me feel really good (laughs) selfishly about, you know, some of the things that we've covered on our podcast so far, and it's just reinforcing, hopefully, you know, for the listeners that are following and engaged with our podcast, this is just absolutely reaffirming. So many new layers and new insights. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So also in our pre-interview, you mentioned issues clients may have with their spiritual communities once they've Mm -hmm. identified that they're in a toxic relationship that they have to exit and even, you know, beyond spiritual communities, if you're in a relationship and the two of y'all are in, ingrained in other kinds of communities, you know, it would be interesting to hear what maybe you've gone through or what some of your clients mm-hmm. have gone through. I know that you help them navigate that. There's, a, as you said, there's a lot of grieving involved with all the change that they have to face once yeah. they leave. Yeah. So anytime you're, you and your partner, you and the narcissistic individual are ingrained in any kind of community, right? Where there are other people, oftentimes, this is my, my experience, but also the experience of several of the, the individuals that I've worked with is that the outside world believes that this individual is like the bee's knees. Like they are awesome, wonderful, right? And this is where a lot of isolation for the victim happens, Mm -hmm. right? Because all these people believe that this person is something that they're not, right? Like they're able to put on a front for the rest of the world and then behind closed doors, there's somebody else, Mm -hmm. right? And so it becomes very difficult then to begin making the, the decision to exit those relationships because you understand ahead of time that it will probably cost you all of those outside relationships. And this, this can be something that holds people inside of um, a toxic dynamic much longer than they need to, right? Because they're afraid of the repercussions that are going to happen to them. Right? Like, what's the damage that's going to happen to me? If I choose to leave this relationship and if these people are in maybe influential or in prominent positions or in leadership roles, whether in like religious communities or, you know, even just friendships and organizations, right? It's very difficult to be the person that says, 
hey, they're not who they say they are. And this is what's happening. And we have to be very careful of who we choose to confide in. And so sometimes family, friends, or our religious community can be the most unsafe places to be. And in particular with uh, maybe spiritual communities is that it's very hard to know who stands where and where their loyalties are going to be. And then if you're adding like a spiritual component or a religious component to it, if they have like a personal conviction to like, well, you have to stay married to this person and what's your sin, what's wrong with you, you need to go, right? Like you need to get help. They want to stay in this relationship. They want to make this marriage work, right? And so then you're receiving blame and backlash from the people that you really feel and believe are supposed to be there to protect Mm -hmm. and to help, right? And sometimes we have to grieve that community Mm -hmm. when we are stepping away. Mm -hmm. So I remember in particularly with my own situation was when I chose, you know, an incident happened. And it was, and, um, you know, our, our, our church leadership knew what happened. And so there was this leaving of having to separate ourselves from the community. But then I remember our head pastor telling me, well, y'all are going to be okay because you have, you have him, you have each other. After this individual had already caused so much pain and chaos, not only in that religious community, but in our home and this pastor knowing and telling me essentially you have your abuser to lean on this is too messy for us we're just going back out and so even more so right perpetuating that feeling of i am completely alone in this i don't even have the people who i thought were supposed to have my back in this there he 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 told me that the only person i have to lean on is my abuser Mm-mm. So then you hear those kinds of, and, and that's just, you know, one story and that's, that's mine, but I've heard several stories, right? Where when we're, when we're using a higher power to control and manipulate a situation, mm-hmm. it causes an even deeper layer of damage and betrayal for the victim that is very, very difficult to heal from. Right. Because then you're pairing their God or their higher power with your feelings of like, this is wrong and this is not okay. And, and sometimes being shamed because of it. And and many individuals have like their identity is within their, you know, religious beliefs. And so if you have someone of influence or, or, you know, like a pastor or, or a leader, right. Like a, like a a leader in a group essentially shame you for these kinds of things or, or, or tell you like, maybe it's not that bad, or what's wrong with you, right? Victim blaming and shifting all of that to, to, to the victim. It, it's very isolating. And, and that's where you can see people stay stuck in their either stuck and staying in the situation. And in that toxic and narcissistic relationship, or even if they're able to gain the courage to leave, they just stay stuck in the pain, right? And, and it's very difficult to to heal from because now you're adding the spiritual component to it. Mm -hmm. You know, staying and being stuck, that's a familiar pain. And it's easier sometimes, even though it's painful to stay because that's familiar and it's more difficult to take steps to leave and journey into the unfamiliar. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, an intimate partner relationship, you're possibly very plugged in with their family and you have plans and Christmas is coming up and we have traditions all set up. And the idea of having to separate yourself from that is horrible and scary. And there's a lot of pride and, you know, definitely shame is involved. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think just as much as shame can hold us in a stuck place, pride can too, right? Yes. I'm going to make this work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we end up in situations with an intimate partner much longer than we need to, to be, right? For the, either for the sake of the family, if you have children for their sake, because it is, it can be messy for some people. And, and even if, it, if the process like legally or whatever is not messy, emotionally it is and staying in chaos for some people is a lot easier because it's familiar and we know how to function in it then when we choose to get out of the chaos and the dysfunction i'm having to create completely new different neural pathways mm-hmm. because i've never done this before right mm-hmm. so it's not familiar and it's hard and it's painful and it is messy and also there's a piece and a freedom and a wholeness on that other side when we choose to do the hard work. And I, I sit with my clients and I tell them, I'm so glad you're here. And also, I'm so sorry you're here. And this is not fun. And they're like, yeah, I know. This is, this is, not, <laughs> this is not feel-good stuff. And that can be a misconception of therapy, of I'm going to maybe be empowered or like feel better and healing is very messy and it, and it's and it's hard and going to therapy is not fun i have been <laughs> on the uh, like i've been a client and having to to walk and navigate through my own things but the other side of that i wouldn't trade the messiness and i wouldn't trade the pain and the hard decisions and choices that i've had to make for the peace and the freedom that i feel today and that I'm able to show up in a much different way for myself, in a much healthier way for my children and for the my support system, right? Like the people who are who I choose to be in relationship with and the things that I choose to give my energy and my time and resources to, right? I show up very differently as a healed version of myself or a healing version of myself than I do when I'm choosing to stay stuck. Because it's familiar and it's comfortable and I know what to do in it. Yeah. Staying is a choice. And I know it can it can involve a lot of layers, children and Instagram pictures and family connections and, you know, all of that. But it is as simple and equally as complicated as staying is a choice. And on the flip side of that, leaving for something better and that better is a stronger you is also a choice. And I think it's time for anyone in a relationship like what we've been describing, it's time to choose you and a healthier version of you. And so when we choose to work on ourselves and and leave these toxic relationships, what we are choosing that, but we're also choosing ourselves. And then we open ourselves up to then choose better the next time. So when we choose to stay stuck, we don't have any options. This is it. But when we choose to embrace healthy and embrace what's good for us and 
I believe what God has designed for us, which is healthy, happy relationships, not only with him, but with others. We have so many options when we choose that path, but it is hard, but it's rewarding 110%. That's very well said. Yeah. We talk so much about red flags and all of the types of narcissists and, you know, the cycle of abuse. And it's really refreshing to hear from both of y'all who have gone down this path of choosing to leave toxic situations that were not going anywhere and hearing how beautiful the view is on the other side. Like climbing a mountain, it's very hard, but once you get to the top, it's so worth it. The scenery is beautiful. And going back down the other side is a lot easier than climbing up. So there is hope and staying is worse than leaving, even though it is going to be a difficult journey. Mm-hmm. And for those leaving, um, I'll just add this, you know, for those who are, are contemplating and choosing to leave and they have children, remembering that your children are all, if you have this mentality of, I don't want my kids to be in a broken home but you're in a marriage and in a family dynamic that it's chaos, they're already in a broken home, right? So taking that negative belief out that's not serving you. And I have had so many individuals that I've encountered that have told me, I wish my parents would have just divorced and like ended it because the pain and the the trauma that they left behind for me and my siblings to have to now navigate is far worse than having to you know, heal from the pain of my parents potentially getting a divorce, right? So if you're that in that situation, just know that you're not ruining your children. They're not going to be broken, that you actually could be saving them years of pain and hurt and trauma that they're going to have to undo and have, maybe even having to go to therapy for some of this stuff, right? I, I think we all at some point end up in a therapist's office for, for one thing or another, but If we have the choice and the ability to not let that be something that we give to our kids, then you're, you're choosing them. Essentially, you're, you're choosing life and peace and freedom and wholeness for them. When you're choosing yourself, when you're choosing those things for yourself, you're choosing that for your kids too. So I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're setting them up for future relationship success as well. Yeah, definitely. And you leaving shows them your strength and it sets a good example for them to see what strong boundaries look like. So is there any stone unturned, Johanna, (laughs) that you want to emphasize? Um, I think an encouragement, right, for, for people who are trying to leave an abusive relationship or maybe just realizing that that's the situation that they're in, just knowing that there's not a time frame. There's not pressure. Allow yourself to move through each of these stages and, and to show yourself compassion through it. And that's the that's the one thing that will get you through is self-compassion, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the way to practice that is what would I tell a friend if they were in this situation, right? And reminding yourself of, of that truth for yourself. Healing is possible and growth and beauty are on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how we'll link it in our show notes as well, but how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, I like to hang out on Instagram. So on Instagram, uh, I am whole life healing underscore. 
And then, uh, so that's my therapy uh, page. Do a lot of education there. If you're wanting to just learn more about like the mind-body connection, my other Instagram handle is um, the Mindful Collective Studio, which, which is where we practice integrative mind-body healing for trauma. And yeah, those, those are the two places I hang out. You can send me a message, email. Y'all, y'all are more than welcome to drop my email. Well, I think you are doing wonderful work through your two Instagram accounts. And that's how I found you. And I think you set a really good example for someone that has prevailed and is healing. And there is hope for people. And you were living proof of that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. y'all allowing me to, to share with you guys and with your, with your listeners. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, Johanna, thank you so much for being with us today. You have been an extremely informative guest, and we hope our listeners have benefited from your wisdom and experience. We have, definitely. And we thank our listeners for joining us today on Here's, Here's Your, your red, red Flag. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks, y'all. Butterfly Woke, die.